Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Okay, good, um, well, hello, everybody. I was about to say good morning, but it's probably not morning where you are when you're listening to this. But this is uh, GodPod number 42. Which is pretty impressive, isn't it? It is very impressive, 42. Being the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yeah, so there might be something special hidden away in this God pod that has never been there before. It could be the ultimate question. It could in be. In case there are some of you who haven't read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> that is what Mike is talking about. That's right. It's amazing Mike is talking at all, because his mouth was full five seconds ago with yeah. cake. That's true. Very nice homemade cake made by my own fair hand. Very good. Anyway, so as you can gather, Mike is here. I am. And um, I'm Graham Tomlin, as you may well know if you've listened to these before. And we have Jane. You do. Uh, nice to see you, Jane. And also we have a guest today who is Pete Gregg. Hello. Pete, it's great to have you with us. And um, Pete is the head of uh, 24-7, which is a, uh, an amazing prayer network around the world. And it'd be great to hear a little bit more about that as we go along. But Pete, you've just... Um, Joined the staff at HTB as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. wonderful. This this changed your life radically. Uh, Well, it's just incredibly exciting to be around a community that's seeing so many people's lives changed, society impacted, lots of energy. It's wonderful. Mm. So, I mean, twenty four seven is tends to be a little sort of scruffier around the edges than HTB <laughs> and I did have one or two sort of German anarchist Christians email me saying how can you be doing this yeah. but you know the kingdom is the kingdom and, and, and wonderful things are happening these wonderful people so I'm loving it and I think HTB is a bit scruffy around the edges since you came isn't it really <laughs> it is we're trying to scruff things up <laughs> <laughs> Very good, <thank> <laughs> yeah that's right so um um Pete, do you want to, for those who don't know anything about 24-7 at all, yeah. I want to give a quick sort of two-minute summary of what it does and its sort of vision and sure. direction and so on. Yeah, we, I mean, we're an a international, interdenominational movement of people, many of them young people, who are praying. Uh, we've been praying continually since 1999. And in shifts, obviously. I'm quite bleary eyed. <laughs> and uh, out of all of the, the prayer rooms that have sprung up, um, we've seen some really uh, creative missional engagement and a lot of people engaging with the poor and you know, transformation of society. So our sort of slogan is prayer, mission and justice. Last mm. year there were over a thousand non-stop prayer rooms that we knew of. Uh, we spread into 91 countries from one prayer room. And it's all a, an accident. We just started one prayer room in Chichester, wanting to learn to pray, thinking we would go sort of night and day. God turned up and it spread. So, And do people um, sort of make a commitment and promise they will stay with a prayer room for a certain length of time? Yeah. How does it work? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's churches or uh, universities, Bible colleges, whatever businesses all sorts and and they'll often say well we're going to pray non-stop for a weekend or a week or a month or or increasingly for years Mm. Mm. and and at the heart of it is um this idea of sacred space a a physical place where people 
I think, find it easier to pray. Mm. And that's been, you know, for, for more traditional Christians, that's no great surprise. But my background is sort of as low as low church can be. And I always believed the Holy Spirit could fill people. And the discovery that the Holy Spirit seems to be able to fill places mm. is fascinating to me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it is some... Um, it is interesting, isn't it? I, mean, I think the comment you were making, Jane, earlier on, that at a time when traditional monastic communities are struggling to get people to sign up for a lifetime of prayer and, you know, sort of um, hidden away, perhaps within a monastic community... That this thing is springing up in a different form, and, and um, I mean, do, do, have you thought much around the whole, you know, the sort of differences and similarities between what's happening in twenty four seven and the traditional monastic yeah. model of, of Christian life and so on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it was quite early on actually that you know initially we just had lots of these prayer rooms springing up. And I think inevitably, because great things were happening in the prayer rooms, people were experiencing God, prayers were getting answered, mm. people who weren't believers in God were saying that they could feel God's presence. Mm. Mm. Uh, people started to come to me saying, we want to do this all the time. And I actually panicked a little bit because I thought we're going to create these sort of holy huddles, divorced from the real world, where mm. people just pray all the time. And also and great pressure on people... To not break the chain, it's almost like yeah. it could become like a chain letter, mm. couldn't it? You know, don't break this, totally. or terrible things will happen. Yeah, sort of pietism, sort of legalism, and superstition. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I, I, and I think that, that you know, funnily enough, we've never tried to persuade anyone to start a prayer room. We've often told people to stop because of that very reasoning. Mm -hmm. It just started mm -hmm. to feel a bit unhealthy. Mm. So then we had to ask questions about what does uh, what does it look like if people want to build a rhythm of communal prayer into their lives on an ongoing basis. Mm. And we started to look at some of the sort of cycles of prayer, uh, Benedictine, Franciscan. And we also, sort of the other side of the monastic thing, uh, were very inspired by the Moravians, uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in the 18th century under Count Zinzendorf's leadership, who prayed nonstop for a 100 years. But they really lived as a village, as a monastic community, and they sent out missionaries all over the world in the wake mm -hmm. of the Reformation. I know, because they got to um, northern Labrador. Uh, they were the people who evangelized the Eskimo population. Yeah. Um, and in a way were responsible for the evangelical revival that spread across Britain through the Wesleys and the United States with... Yeah. Whitfield and, uh, and others. I mean, an extraordinary kind of impact those yeah. people had. Yes. You know, because Wesley's conversion happened through meeting Moravians. And the first thing he did after his heart was strangely warmed was it was got on a boat to, to Holland mm. and went and spent time in, in Herrenhut with Zinzendorf. Yeah. They didn't yeah. get on very well, but the idea was he wanted <laughs> to get a little bit yeah. of input. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and at the heart of the Moravian thing was a thing called the Order of the Mustard Seed, which was a vow that uh, Zinzendorf, his friends, made at university to live by a certain rule of life. So yeah. we've got these sort of two threads in 24-7, the, the, the interest in rules of life and the interest in rhythms of prayer and how you make those life-giving and sustainable. Mm. Mm. And are you finding that... Um, what, what kind of people are, are attracted to this idea? Mm. I mean, it's, it's lots of young people. Mm. Um, I, I, but the range is... is, is 
is pretty extraordinary. I mean, you know, in Germany, it really is sort of semi-anarchists in parts. But then, you know, there are quite traditional churches. Uh, I'm out next week with one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is sort of buckle of the Bible belt. So right the way along the line. Um, And we had a fascinating conversation recently with some uh, theologians in the Church of Scotland, who thought it all sounded wonderful, these sort of prayerful, missional communities. Um, but their question was, how on earth do you relate this to evangelicals and charismatics? They must find that very hard, which interested us, because that's really where we came from mm. not very many years ago. Mm. And I think we're still there, but it's, it's broadening out. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, the kind of anarchist thing, because there's a, there's a dimension of the Spirit's work that he's or comes across as nearly kind of anarchist. It's, it's mm. breaking down barriers, it's doing unexpected, unpredictable things, um, breaking down barriers between those things which are usually divided, um, and yet is also the spirit of order and, and harmony and, 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 and peace. It's, it's a kind of strange mm. mixture, and if you can get anarchists and traditionalists, hmm. that would be a kind of... Praying together, that would be the real work of the spirit, kind of yeah. doing both its wild thing and its kind of ordering, it's John, it's John three, thing. isn't it? That yeah. Jesus saying, you know, uh, those born of the spirit are like the wind; no one knows where exactly. it comes from, where it goes. And I think yes. there is an unpredictability. Yes. I mean, that's been the story of the last few years for me. I could never have projected this. It's been a, a wonderful hijack. What were you doing before? all this happened i was i was church planting right down on the south coast so we planted two churches uh, really focusing on sort of the emerging culture mm-hmm. um one you know grew wonderfully and the other did quite well and then really struggled mm-hmm. and um you know I, i'd felt like it was time to pass the leadership of those two new communities on and I didn't know what to do next, and, and, but I did know that my prayer life was rubbish, and I wanted to try and get better at it, and quite a few of my friends felt the same. That's why we did the prayer room. They all felt that your prayer life was rubbish as well. They didn't feel, they knew. <laughs> Superficial, you know. Uh, well, the, the aspect of it that interests me, well, lots of aspects that interest me, but one particular one is that, I, mean, I think our, 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 whether it's our culture or our church generally today, we, we kind of get the contemplative prayer bit because you kind of feel that you know contemplation meditation that's a sort of fairly standard thing that people understand and and appreciate across culture the idea that that you know time in quiet and time in sort of um reflection on your life and in the light of god and 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 so on is is a valuable thing it changes you it, it transforms your own inner life um and that's something we can kind of understand i think the thing we find harder i think these days is intercession Mm. It's the idea that actually by praying, we change in some way the will of God or the or, or God's ability or desire to act within the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can kind of understand how praying. I can understand how pray, prayer changes me internally, um, my mind and my heart and everything else. You know, understanding how prayer bends the will of God. That sort of. You know, the sort of, um... But all the research evidence is that although we may understand why prayer is good for us, actually more people do intercessory prayer than do contemplative prayer. Mm. Yeah. So actually right. people yeah. instinctive, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask, yeah. Pete, is, is it primarily about um, contemplation and deepening 
prayer or is it about um, wanting God to do things or is it a mixture in these prayer rooms? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be both. Mm. And I think people come in to one of the two doors. Some are drawn in mm. through contemplation and, and meditation. But before long, you know, as you grow in your intimacy and your relationship with God and you understand his love, you start to cry out to him to do things. I, I was interested to know that, you know, that plane that just landed on the Hudson River, mm. you know, mm. everyone was praying. That was the report. Everyone yeah. was crying out to God. I mean, at that moment, it didn't matter what denomination, whether you were even a believer, everyone was praying, and, and some kind of miracle seems to have happened. There is a deep human instinct to intercede, to pray for change, to, mm. to long for something happening. I suppose when it gets into the, the sort of the- theological and philosophical aspects of it, that's when we probably struggle. And, it, and it, there's yeah. a number of reasons for that, I guess, yeah. know, that God sometimes seems to answer and sometimes he, he doesn't why does he answer some prayers mm. and not not other prayers and why half the time when we pray he doesn't seem to and you you've written on a, bit, a fair bit on this on your yeah your book god on mute but um but i i'm just interested in that whole area of how we understand intercession theologically and how it interacts with the will of god for the world I, any ideas <laughs> I, I, I suppose i just um i i agree with you that that is kind of what people are are groping towards i i'm uneasy with describing this as bending the will of god because i think the will of god is always for the healing of his world Mm. uh, to be active healingly Mm -hmm. within it uh, to be bringing it into that order that harmony that peace with itself and with him that's always his his intention um I, I, I would prefer to talk, and I'd be interested to hear what Pete thinks about this, uh, in terms of um, kind of allowing God to work in some way, because he has in some ways uh, res- limited himself and limited the ways in which he can work so as not to overrule human freedom or, I would add, angelic freedom either. Um, the, he would. <laughs> I would. Uh, that that means that prayer in some way is a, is a use of our freedom uh, to align ourselves and, and a bit of our world with with his will and purpose and therefore enables uh, him to work in a way that he wouldn't otherwise be able to work given the ways in which he has restricted mm-hmm. himself. So not himself. getting um, God to work for us, but getting us to work for God? Um, I, would, I would say both, actually. Mm. Um, I think our prayer in some ways enables God to work in ways mm. he wouldn't otherwise be able to work. Mm. Because um, I think if it's just getting us to work for God, then that's back into the prayer changes mm-hmm. me and my interaction with mm-hmm. the world. But does it actually change God's direct? And that's my question. And ha- mm-hmm. how does that happen? And, and I suppose, I mean, just in response to your thoughts, Mike, I mean, uh, I suppose I'm thinking of those, I mean, it's the, the image of in many of the poets, you know, you think of, is it George Herbert's phrase, isn't it? You know, that prayer is an engine against the Almighty. That's just this amazing f- phrase. Where he, where he kinda, I think he. And there might be all kinds of theological problems with that, but I think he's capturing a sense that, that of, of sort of longing and, and, and wanting to somehow change the. That's how it feels like. And again, you know, the poetry of R. S. Thomas is another mm-hmm. one who, mm-hmm. who writes in these same sort of ways. That that's what it feels like often yeah. uh-huh. when uh-huh. you're praying. You're trying to 
you know, come on, God, do it. You know, you get it in the Psalms as, as well. So it's and, and of course you, know, you do get that one, one of the parables. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 That's right, yes. I don't want to do this, but you're bothering me so much exactly. that I will. But I'm not sure that that's one of the things that you can read yeah. straight from the parable, parable into the character of God. Are you, are you saying that 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 theme of wrestling with God mm. is really just a feeling? There isn't any reality to. M- meaningful dialogue almost with no I'm, I'm saying at the very least it's a feeling it's, it's something that's, that's the way prayer feels but I guess I'm wondering whether it is more than that, that mm-hmm. there is a sense in which I mean, maybe this does tie you with what you're you're saying that um, I mean, there's part of me that doesn't want to go down the line of saying prayer is like a kind of slot machine where the more money you put in the more chocolate you get out at the bottom uh, of it but there is a there is a, a sense in scripture that that perseverance in prayer mm-hmm. They're kind of ongoing intercession. Um, putting it bluntly, the, the more you pray and the more desperately you pray, somehow God answers. And so it's but trying that to. That isn't always true, is it? And that's part of the problem because that so that that can then become a burden that you place on the people mm-hmm. who pray. Mm-hmm. So that if their their prayers are not answered, it's their fault in some mm-hmm. way. They haven't prayed um, faithfully enough, and that that uh, we have all experienced um, situations in which that pressure has been put mm-hmm. on people mm-hmm. who are not yes. being healed or n- yep. not um, mm-hmm. being changed uh, apparently by yeah. by prayer. Which is why I want to bring the angelic dimension into that as Absolutely. well as the human dimension. Yeah. That it, what God can do is is limited by the cooperation or non cooperation of free creatures but that not just human beings there's a whole another whole dim- dimension of which we're usually unaware mm. I, I think uh y- you know th- th- there has to be that there has to be a humility before uh, the, the natural order as well you know c.s lewis's thing about miracles have to by definition be rare um, because of the implications of con- God continually interfering with the systems that He's put in place, but I, I think if we if we back, I, I think I think so much of our theology is highly transactional, going even back to Augustine, and 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 that's probably at its worst with prayer, which you know often becomes this very commodified thing, a way of getting something. I'd much rather have a much more relational. Mm theology of prayer which is what i love about the metaphors of of wrestling of partnership of um co-conspiring with god and um you guys will have to help me you know with the 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 theology of that that's my experience and and even at times crying out to god for 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 miracles maybe for my, my own wife's healing and not seeing what i was asking for even though all the passion <laughs> all the techniques i could summon up you know you, you sort of think is my wife going to die because i didn't you know put her on a stretcher and take her to a benny hinn meeting i mean is there am i going to get wiped out on a technicality you have these terrible thoughts but in the midst of all of that i knew god's presence and i think this is where the the longing for miracles and the intercessory peace has to overlap with the contemplative experience of god and i feel very uncomfortable when those two get separated i guess i suppose the way i've thought about it is is that is somewhere the way in which God oversees and rules the world, the way he governs his world is such that prayer is part of the the way in which that happens. Mm-hmm. In other words, that God's 
sort of rule and governance over the world, God's action within the world. Um, he, he sort of built prayer into the system, as it were, so that it's, it's vital that we pray because maybe this is tying into to Mike's point that, that, that prayer, in, in, it's, not, it's not that God can't act in the world sort of separately from, from prayer. If, if, if no one prays, God is still free to do that. But you know, he has somehow built a system where prayer is part of his governance of the world. And therefore, there is a sense, if we don't pray, that maybe God is limited. Hmm. He's limited himself to, to how he interacts with the world. And therefore, prayer is a, is a way of kind of opening a door, as it were, for God to be yeah. active within the world. And so it's, 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 it's not a kind of separate thing. It's a hmm. part, of the, part of God's governance over his world. I also, of course, have to leap to the defence of Augustine. Um, you didn't develop your critique of Augustine, but Augustine is never wrong. It's very important. <laughs> um, second Bible for Jay. <laughs> um, and one of the things... Oh, what about when he contradicts himself or retracts? What about the retraction? Uh, let, let's not go into that just at this moment. Um, but one of the things Augustine takes for granted is that prayer is something that connects you more deeply to the community, which is the body of Christ. So yeah. it's, in a sense, reconnecting the lifelines of the body of Christ made present and visible um, in, in, in God's new creation. And I think that aspect of it, that, that, um, that it isn't just about me and God, it's yeah. about me willingly being part of what God is, is doing mm. through Jesus Christ mm-hmm. in the world, mm-hmm. is an aspect that we or constantly as Protestants leave out of, mm-hmm. yes. of mm-hmm. this talk about prayer. And, and, and just to flog a dead horse... Um, in the spiritual realm as well. I mean, you do you get extraordinary thing of Daniel uh, praying, and then Archangel turning up and saying, "Sorry, I'm late. I got held up on yes. the <laughs> on the kind of ethereal highway." Um, but your prayers help me to get through. Yeah. And the, the, the very helpful bit in, in Romans eight uh, that a lot of the time when the, the Holy Spirit praying in us when we don't know what we're talking about, that sense that actually we don't understand why prayer works or what it is mm. except that it is in some sense our privileged joining in with god's conversation with god yeah. in the world mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, i suppose it's, it's where prayer is there's a continuity between prayer and christian action within the world so yeah. that again one of the ways in which god rules his world is through human agency you know it is actually through humans who are entrusted with care of creation who yeah. you know seek to work for a, a just social order and for the care of the planet and all of that. that that's the way God chooses to do it, through human beings, not despite them and over, over their heads. And the same, the same with prayer. Prayer is part of that, that, um, that engagement we have with God and the world, part of our being made in the image of God, part of our oversight, our, our, our kind of delegated care of creation is, yes, both the, the tilling of the land and the developing of technology and all the you know the the work of art and poetry and so on all that that you know where we take god's creation and craft it into something beautiful mm-hmm. then prayer is in some way part of that it's all part of yeah. god's you know god's um shaping of the world through human agency mm-hmm. and that, that and, and prayer is every much part of that as, as as action and and um church planting and you know social involvement and everything else. medical work and everything else yeah, yeah. that's right I, I, I have a question. Um, it's, very, it's interesting to me that uh, you never hear in the Gospels of anybody coming to Jesus asking to be healed and not being. You do get that little bit about where he went to a particular place and couldn't do many miracles there <laughs> uh, because of their lack of faith. But I take it that that means they didn't 
want him to. They didn't ask or they didn't feel he could and therefore whatever. We never hear of anybody coming to him and saying, please hear me and him saying, no, I think it would be better for you if I didn't because the suffering's obviously doing you a lot mm. of good. Um, and yet we build up a whole apologetic about the problem of evil on how it's good for us. Uh, and that's why God allows it. And we have a whole view of unanswered prayer that God says no in this because it's going to be better for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? <laughs> hmm. Just for the benefit of the listeners, I'm being looked at. By <laughs> <laughs> you can't see. But they are the, the theologians here. <laughs> <and I laughs> defer to their greater wisdom. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Mike has got an answer in the back of his mind to this question. Well, <laughs> I, I just think we, we, we sh- shouldn't say, or cannot say on the... Since Jesus is our picture on God, we therefore don't have the right to say um, God doesn't want to heal somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And therefore, unanswered prayer um, must be about something else. Must be about... Um, hmm. A, a world that is cut off, a world that God has limited the ways in which he can work within mm. and yeah. therefore cannot in the short term put this situation right unless his creatures cooperate in particular ways. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think even the phrase unanswered, unanswered prayer is quite a, a, a blunt instrument. Yeah. I mean, there are prayers that we all pray that are either foolish or misguided. I mean, the example used is of healing, which I think is 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 a in a way in a league of its own. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, you know, if my unanswered prayer simply relates to, you know, a girl I want to marry me, yeah. you know, and, and it can be as passionate a prayer as I want. But with high, I think it was um, Billy Graham's wife that said, you know, thank God he doesn't answer all my prayers. <laughs> I wouldn't marry Billy. So, um, was she praying not to? Well, one hopes not. So, um, but I think I think healing is particularly complex mm. because mm. Um, we start to ask profound questions about who God is and uh, and about his his love. You know, would uh, I, I? I confess I find it very difficult. The traditions that um, see uh, suffering as inherently redemptive, uh, because I find it very hard to think that a, a loving God, a Father God, would send or even necessarily permit a cancer for example in order to teach someone something that mm. isn't the way i relate to my children yep. mm. and uh and and so i i would much rather i think this is where we've got to bring in the um the the, the spiritual warfare dynamic yes, yes. um because otherwise it, you know if we don't believe that god's will is being contested we start mm. to attribute to god as some sort of intention behind yeah. sickness. And I, 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 yeah. I personally find that very hard. You, you yeah. either say God doesn't want it mm-hmm. or you say you don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. either of those are pastorally very damaging, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also critical. Too much of our theology, I think, starts with ideas and then we try and work out well, how on earth do we apply this pastorally. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I confess i quite like about the sort of openness theology and greg boyd and all the rest of it is so pastorally helpful yes um 
to to, to uh, deal with people who are going through profound trauma yes. because they've been raped or whatever and actually be able to say, I don't think God wanted this to happen. Exactly. That's a much more helpful starting mm-hmm. point pastorally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. it, it's, it's Jesus weeping and angry at the tomb of Lazarus, isn't yeah. it? Even though he knows he's about to bring him back to life, he's yes. angry at what death has done, the, the way it's yeah. distorted God's world and... Mm. But the problem, I mean, I entirely agree with that. But, but equally, then there's the next stage, isn't it? Because to say that something that is uh, that is utterly, utterly damaging to somebody and has changed their possibilities um, completely is not what God would have wanted for them. Then makes them think, well, okay, so now my life is um, is a mess that God didn't want, and I've got no way of getting it back. So you have to actually take the next stage. That that even if God does not want the dreadful things to have happened, nothing is beyond. Hmm. The providence and, and love hmm. of God, yeah. um, so that in, in all things we can still meet God and be and yeah. be deepened and 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 situations can be redeemed. So, that, which is not at all the same thing as saying it's good for you, yeah. and it clearly isn't. Mm-hmm. But that in God, nothing is nothing needs to be destructive of, of the human mm. personality. And he can bring good out out of it. Yes. It's not doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it a good thing. Doesn't make it something you wanted. But you can bring good out of it. Yeah. It's the idea of you know redemption, which I think is a very deep word and concept yeah. in Christian theology. That you you take a a bad debt and you 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 you, you redeem it. You you take a situation that is that is messy and and horrible and not what anybody wanted, and you redeem it. You you, you transform it from within. And um, so, you know, that that sort of redemptive idea is a very important one in, in that that theme. I think. But I think all of this works very it, very much against um, 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 way of thinking about God's plan for our lives. I mean, if people who think there's a that God has a a blueprint mm-hmm. somewhere, mm-hmm. Um, and then something dreadful happens, mm-hmm. you, you sort of feel either that must be part of the blueprint, or else. Um, the blueprint has yep. gone up the and I've missed shoot. It. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I, I, yep. I can't get yes, back yep. onto yes. it. <laughs> no, I think that's right. I, I've always found the blueprint sort of image quite an unhelpful one, yeah. really, for, 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 for guidance, mm. because precisely for those reasons that, you know, if there's some secret plan up there, A, why doesn't God show me if he knows it? And why is he being so secretive about it? Mm. And, um, and B, what happens when I mess it up? Mm. You know, if I've messed it up, I've gone off the blueprint. Is there any, any way back onto it? And which is where, it, where it's much, I think it's much more helpful to think of God having a, Yes, having a purpose for our lives that we become like Christ, that we are kind of redeemed and shaped into his image. But actually there's a whole range of different ways in which we can get there. And, and it's much more interactive than that and taking account of what mm. how we want to be. And, yeah. and, and, I mean, I always mm. think of the book of Job on this. Um, uh, not Job, but the book of Jonah on this. Uh, basically, God says, you know, in 40 days and I'm going to destroy Nineveh. They repent and he doesn't. He changes his plan yeah. because they've adapted. Mm-hmm. So God's plan is not a fixed thing that happens regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonah wanted it to be. That's why he was so upset at the end. He was a fatalist. He thought you know, what God said should happen. Uh, but in fact, it, it adapts to take account of their choice, their decisions, mm-hmm. their, how they live, how they behave. Uh, and it does, mm-hmm. the same happens with us. I think it's an interactive plan. Mm-hmm. And I, I just see, I find this exhilarating, terrifying, and thrilling all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that it's not all mapped out, you know, 
it's the old jokes and the guy who falls down the stairs and says thank goodness i've got that over with you know <laughs> it's, not, it's not like that <laughs> the idea that actually i wake up today in some form of meaningful partnership mm -hmm. with god mm -hmm. through his choice through his initiative that he ha he's chosen not to cross all the t's and dot all the i's and fill in my diary for the next mm -hmm. 30 years mm -hmm. but he he's fascinated by the choices that i i make mm -hmm. I find that absolutely terrifying. Mm. I think some, sometimes we just we would rather be fatalists mm -hmm. and call it theology. <laughs> and, and yet I also find it incredibly exciting. And what mm. we, I think what we get out of that is an extraordinary sense of the dignity mm. of humanity mm. and the responsibility of humanity. Mm. And, I, and, and to me then we have to go one step further and come back to a place of prayer, of humility, mm. and saying... I need your help. Yes. I want to mm. do this with you. Yes. Well, it's it, yeah. It, it's, it's the parental image again. It's the image of father, isn't it? There. So it's what you do with it, with a child. You don't sort of set up all kinds of disasters for them to fall, fall into because it's good for them. Um, nor do you try to control their every moment. But you're fascinated by the way they grow and the decisions they make. And when they mess it up, you step in and you help out and you you help them to get towards the goal that their life is is, is heading in. Um, and you change the way that you relate yeah. to them yeah. by the choices yeah, they make, right. the decisions they yeah. make. Yeah. I mean, just one question. I mean, how do you, in your in the prayer rooms and um, particularly in this whole realm of intercessory prayer, how, how do you how, how would you counsel someone who who has got into the thing of you know, well, I I've got to pray, I've got to wrestle with God, and gets to the point where they they almost get slightly obsessed by that in a kind of unhealthy way that if I don't do this, all kinds of desperate, terrible things are going to happen, and so you get a sort of sense of guilt. Mm. landing on people about you know how much they pray and so on I mean, don't, how do you handle well, that one? i think I, I i can personalize it i think that was probably me at the start i think subconsciously there was a great big red switch called revival that i thought that if we sort of reached out you know one day we, we'd kind of managed to switch it and, and mm. something would, mm. would, would happen and the person who helped me most with it was brennan manning Who's the sort of um, not Catholic, Bernard Manning? That's not, the, not 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 the <laughs> turkey farmer. <laughs> no, no, Although no. doubtless he'd have had a great deal to say on the matter. All <laughs> oh, the other blue comedian is Brennan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, and, and um, you know he's an author. Uh, he's just a, a, a wonderful guy with a grace message. And we went out for pizza together, and he, he's from New York. He's in his seventies, I suppose. He's quite abrasive. Uh, and he, he, he said to me, so all this praying you're doing, when have you ever prayed enough? It's <laughs> 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 a great question. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, he said, so you must be feeling guilty the whole time, right? And um, I said, well, you know, I don't like to put it quite like that. And, and he was hitting on this same issue, mm. uh, sort of striving. And, the, mm. and then he just said, we're in the contemplative tradition. And maybe this was the beginning of that journey. Into, from petition into contemplation. That's mm. been my route mm. in, where others come in through contemplation yep. into intercession. Mm. Uh, he said, we in the contemplative tradition believe that the hour you do in a prayer room is, if you like, the one hour in the day when you don't pray. It's the hour when you recenter on Jesus so that you can pray in real time, 23 hours the rest of the day. Your, your reflexes are profoundly Christian. Mm. And so I, I find that very helpful. I yeah. want to lay an intercessory, petitionary mm. motif over that. 
but I, I think that's a very helpful. I, the, the word, to, you know, hesekia to pray continually literally means to come to rest. Mm. And there is something about 24-7 prayer that's not about striving. It's mm. about coming into alignment with the will of God whose will is that all things will be reconciled to himself. So 2 Corinthians 5 is probably one of the passages that I I go to more often than any other to understand prayer, even yeah. though it doesn't mention prayer. Yeah, that's that very helpful. I mean, just one more question, because time's rolling on, we ought to come to a close. But um, I mean, I guess there are probably lots of people listening to this who you probably do experience a fairly sort of dry prayer life and who struggle with prayer and find it hard and... and um, and wish their prayer life was better. Um, if you had one thing to say to those people, you know, what do I do to take my prayer life and just make it a little bit more um, connected to God, a bit more sort of rich? Obviously, people are in all kinds of different places, but maybe an impossible question. But what would you say? I, I th- I'll give. I mean, the superficial answers that I give if a 13-year-old asks me that are things like, you know, get accountable. Actually, talk to people about your prayer life. I mm. think it's amazing how little we really do that mm. and what it actually looks like. I'm not talking about reading ethereal books about prayer. I'm actually, mm. this is where I struggle. This is what works. This was a time when I really did feel God's presence in prayer. Let's mm. unpack that. Um, but... You know, I, I, I feel very strongly that we don't take personality differences into account nearly enough mm. when we talk about prayer. Mm. And therefore, we set up systems. If we only have one form of prayer that we endorse, and churches tend to do that, then what we do is we marginalize people whose personality mm. types are not wired towards the contemplative or not wired towards militant, aggressive, you know, shouting mm. in tongues or whatever it is. Mm. And so when Paul says... You know, he talks about praying on all occasions uh, uh, with all kinds of prayers. So there's a menu here for all of the saints. It's ecumenical and it's continual, but it's embracing of, of different um, mm. personality types, I think. Mm. And, and so I, I think it's really important to find your prayer life as a contribution to the body of Christ mm. and say what form of prayer brings life mm. To me, now it doesn't mean that you can then not do any of the others, but but really celebrate that. I'm never going to be someone who finds contemplation particularly easy, but I want to work at it. I want to grow in it. Um, so so I, I think that's that's my main advice is 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 ask the Lord how have you wired me, and what kind of prayer is going to work best for me, rather than trying to copy someone else's prayer life that might just not be the way God has wired you. Yeah, that's very helpful. I- the one thing I remember from my ordination retreat, which is a long time ago now, but um, it was this very wise old chap, I think it was the Dean of Exeter at the time, saying, you know, the, his basic rule of prayer was pray as you can, not as you can't. Mm. Yeah. You know, don't um, try to keep on praying in a way that actually is not, you know, not the main way in which you're called to pray. Find a way that, that you can pray and and work away at that and then other things may come in and you find yourself being able to pray in ways that you couldn't to begin with but it's not a bad little bit of advice I guess. And also remembering that we are part of a praying community Mm -hmm. get somebody else to pray for you Mm. we're always trying to do things on our own, always Yeah, Yeah, it's my own prayer being part of the prayer of the church which is going on all the time every day and you know all around the 
planet, Christians are praying. And my prayer is a little voice in that great chorus of prayer to God. Well, we've um, reached the end of our time, and um, Pete, it's been great to have you with us. Thank you for your help. Thank you very much indeed. And um, uh, Pete's written a couple of really good books on prayer, one called uh, God on Mute. Um, you've uh, written a number of other things too. Uh, are there ones you want to mention? Yes, um, clearly slipped. <laughs> yeah, you didn't you're... do your homework there, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I confess no. it's the only one I've read, so there you go. Very good uh, book yeah, God on Very Mute, good which, book. Is, which is about how do we live with faith in the midst of unanswered prayer. Yeah. Very personal book. Uh, I wrote a book called Punk Monk, which the, mm. the strap line is uh, uh, new monasticism and the ancient art of breathing. Mm. Uh, so that that's about some of the things we talked mm. about at the start of, of, of yeah. this discussion. And Red Moon Rising, mm. uh, which is about the 24-7 prayer movement. Lots of miracles. Yeah, <laughs> very good. And, and if people want to find out more about 24-7, the website is? It's www.24-7prayer.com. Brilliant. So thank you, Pete. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. And uh, thank you, Jane. Pleasure. Good. So that's the end of Godpod 42. Hope you got the answer. <laughs> that's right. Hidden in the quest somewhere. <laughs> Could be, Bobby. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back again next time. Um, not quite sure who's the guest next time, but we'll listen and find out. That was Godpod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.